Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So Kevin McCarthy uh, earned a chalice yesterday, striking out three times in his bid to become the newly installed House Speaker. And where do House Republicans go from here should the Freedom Caucus types who prevented McCarthy from securing the votes he needed to become House Speaker, should they relent? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Scott Perry, who is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, for as much ink as Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and uh, Paul Gosar get, it's actually Scott Perry who is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. And um, he had this to say about the issue that he and those who are holding out on McCarthy have with McCarthy. Well, the issue, Greta, what it really boils down to is trust over a long period of time. Leader McCarthy's been in leadership for about 14 years, and whether it's spending bills or whether it's voting with uh, Democrats when we're in a majority position, um, people have a lack of trust. There's a number of members that have a lack of trust in Leader McCarthy and don't want him to become Speaker because of that lack of trust. And since trust can't be built over a period of 60 days or something like that, other things would have to be done to make up for that. So, for instance, we would need a majority of the seats on the Rules Committee or the Appropriations Committee or both of them, things like that. Uh, And also, as you probably know, the ability to hold the Speaker accountable. The Speaker is the most powerful person in Congress wielding incredible authority. And so without any accountability, um, there, you, can't, you can't do much when they go off the reservation, so to speak. So, um, so we would need something fairly dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things he's talking about uh, when he talks about the holding the speaker accountable is they want motion to vacate. So essentially to call a no confidence vote on the speaker, uh, the threshold would be just one member of Congress. Any member of Congress could initiate Complain a motion and then he has to... to- Leave. could initiate a motion to vacate at any time um and it, it was it appears that they moved the goalpost on that a bit because it was originally five members i think they asked for and that mccarthy acceded to that would take five members to initiate a motion to vacate the chair um sort of a process you could call it accountability measure that's fine i don't think that's the big picture i think the big picture is what Scott Perry started with, which is it's a matter of trust. Yeah, where was the trust? I mean, he did predict a red tsunami in the fall. He helped congressional candidates win the midterms. He helped raise $238 million. I mean, 
on Monday, Dan, his staff moved his furniture out of his congressional office thinking that they're going to move into the speaker's office. Yeah, not so fast. Well, um, the, but the point that, that Perry makes is a legitimate one. We've watched him for 14 years in leadership. This isn't, about, this isn't just about this cycle. Um, this isn't, by the way, McCarthy's first attempt at being speaker, and the previous attempt was a spectacular catastrophe. This one may turn out to be the same, although I'm, I'm less, uh, I, I'm more skeptical that's going to happen a second time. I think he's ultimately going to become speaker. But, um, you know, the issue of we've watched him for for 14 years in leadership, and we have been too impressed. Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm sympathetic to that position because I haven't been really impressed with McCarthy either. That's not to say that everything that the Freedom Caucus is demanding uh, is particularly compelling, especially in the absence of an alternative that has the potential to garner the necessary votes to be speaker, which is almost all of the House Republican Caucus since they have 223 members incoming, so, and they need 218 uh, so, but 20 are against them and 20 want Jim Jordan. Well, they want Jim Jordan, but Jim Jordan doesn't want Jim Jordan. And that becomes part of a, that becomes a bit of a problem. Uh, this is what um, Jim Jordan had to say when he took to the podium to give his two cents yesterday. And I thought the setup was good. Actually, listening to Jim Jordan, you can understand why people would prefer Jim Jordan, because I would, too. I think we have three objectives this Congress, three fundamental things we have to get done in the 118th Congress. First, pass the bills that fix the problems. In two years' time, we have, went, we, we have a border that is no longer a border. We have a military that can't meet its recruitment goals. We have bad energy policy, bad education policy, record spending, record inflation, record debt, and a government that has been weaponized against we the people, against the very people we represent. So we, we need to pass legislation to address all that. And I hope my Democrat colleagues will join me. I really do. But I have my doubts. And if they don't, and if Chuck Schumer says, no, we're not going to take up that legislation that we pass, and if Joe Biden won't sign it, so be it. They'll have to, they'll have to answer to the people in 2024. So that's number one. Number two, the three things Jordan thinks the House Republicans need to accomplish. Second, second, we can never, ever let a bill like the one that passed 12 days ago, $1.7 trillion spent. We can never, ever let that kind of legislation pass again. Well, you don't have Adam Kinzinger to worry about anymore. That's the good news. Number three. We have to do the oversight and the investigations that need to be done. This idea that bureaucrats who never put their name on a ballot but think they run the country who have assaulted our constituents' First Amendment liberties, they need to be held accountable. That has to happen. We need to do it. We need to do it in a way that's consistent with the Constitution, but we need to do it vigorously and aggressively. That is part of our duty as members of this body. Those are that's a pretty good three pronged agenda, you know, broadly defined. But but here's the upshot of that setup and fight for these key things, these three things. That's that's what the people want us to do. 
And I think Kevin McCarthy is the right guy to lead us. I really do, or I wouldn't be standing up here giving this speech. I, I came in with Kevin. We came in the same time 16 years ago. We haven't always agreed on everything, but I like his fight. I like his tenacity, and I like the... I remember Kevin told me, I actually wrote about this in a book. I remember Kevin told me, he said, when the, the toughest times in life are when you get knocked down. The question is, can you come back? And I've always seen him be able to do that. We need to rally around him, come together, and deal with these three things. Because this is what the people sent us here to do. Dan, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I watched the first vote, the second vote, the third vote. And Jim Jordan's speech didn't help McCarthy. It helped Jim Jordan because after hearing that, I wanted Jim Jordan to be Speaker of the House. Yeah, so did Byron, Dan, uh, Byron Donalds, apparently, too, my congressman down in Naples, uh, who uh, flipped on the third vote and went against yep. McCarthy, too. Yeah, I mean, that's right, but um, but Jim just, Jordan doesn't want the job. He's not going to take the job. And so, again, the idea that you have identified a candidate who doesn't want to be a candidate, and you're saying, well— which is, just, which is what Lauren Boebert said on Brett Baer's special report last night. Well, you know, a lot of people were reluctant and they were pulled into doing their duty because they had to rise to the moment. Uh, Paul Ryan was reluctant. She actually mentioned a more impressive figure. George Washington was a reluctant right. president. So, so if we continue to, to indicate that we're not going to move on Kevin McCarthy unless he moves on some of the demands that are outstanding – then we can start to perhaps uh, bring more of the caucus to the realization it's not going to be Kevin McCarthy and that Jim Jordan is a alternative that everybody can live with. I guess that's their theory. I don't <laughs> think that theory plays out in actuality, and I don't think you can go into a leadership fight with without having a candidate that's viable and they're admitting they don't have a candidate that's viable when they're pointing and saying Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan's my candidate, and Jim Jordan says I'm not a candidate. That's bad look. Yeah, and I, I think the disdain for McCarthy isn't going to change. I mean, here's Congressman Getz. Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble. Perhaps today, humble to a fault. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it. Yeah, I, again, there are, there are problems with Kevin McCarthy, but there are problems with the Freedom Caucus, too. And i got to tell you, some of their demands, like oh. essentially a commitment to uh, floor votes, on, particularly on term limits. So that's a completely virtue-signaling sort of proposition. Uh, I, if I was the Freedom Caucus, you want to make something substantive. I want Kevin McCarthy to restate his commitment to decouple the Republican Party, the House Republican Caucus, from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. That is much more important and it's also something that is completely within the power of the speaker and the house republican caucus to do whereas legislation from term limits to a border security plan to tax relief is not solely within the power of the house republican yeah. caucus to do I mean, so that's my criticism of the freedom caucus these 20 people they, they want prime committee seats as well and then that rules change where it'd be so easy to oust the speaker well, it's not easy it's just, to oust. It's not easy to oust. It's easy to easy call enough. the motion, to make a motion to vacate. You still would need a majority of the caucus. So if you don't have a substantive case to make against the speaker, then you're not going to get a majority of the caucus. So 
I mean, the the one member versus five members. I, I, to me, that is a, an ancillary issue. Both but here's, parties. Here's my concern too: if McCarthy can't get Republicans in line for this, then how is he going to, you know, handle it when there's controversial legislation? I mean, can he, you know, herd the cats? Can he be effective? Jeff and Berwin, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Greetings, Dan and Amy. There is an alternative to McCarthy. Draft Devin Nunes. He would be, uh, he would unify the, virtually the entire Republican caucus. And uh, I think he would be a wise and uh, honest Speaker of the House. And then make Jim Jordan the majority leader and Matt Gates the majority whip. And we will give the Democrats ulcers over the next two years. Thanks That's for the all. call, Jeff. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you criticize McCarthy, and I think legitimately, legitimately so, as the Freedom Caucus has. You know, we went to McCarthy with our concerns in the summer. We went to him in the fall. He wasn't so interested in us because he thought he was going to have a big majority and he wasn't going to have to deal with us. Turns out he has a slim majority. Now he has to deal with us, and now we have this problem in the 11th hour because of his dismissiveness and now intransigence. That's a legitimate point, but again, there, are, I think, are legitimate criticisms running in both directions. Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs is not viable. You knew that. No. You don't have an, another candidate within the caucus. If you wanted to do something like Jeff and Berwin is suggesting, then you had all these months to do it, and you haven't come up with anybody, and now you're scrambling. Well, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in terms of planning either. Well, what about Scalise or maybe House Deputy Whip Patrick McHenry? Yeah, well, they're all in line with Kevin McCarthy right now, so this is that's not going anywhere until they hold themselves out or there's there's some dealing behind closed doors to come up with a compromise candidate, and that doesn't seem to be where the the two sides are at this point. Mike and Plano. Hey, guys, I was listening to Matt Gates talk to Charlie Kirk last summer, and he was trying to convince Charlie that uh, having a slim majority would be better than a solid majority. Now, it didn't go over well at the time because every Republican wanted a red wave, myself included, but now I see what he's talking about now where you have a slim majority and conservatives have a lot more power. And I like to see it. I don't mind a little chaos, and I'll, you know, because the message does need to be sent to McCarthy if he is to claim the speakership that he does have to listen to the conservative wing. Not 100% of the time. He doesn't need to be a puppet, but he does need to respect their views. But uh, the thing that I hear a lot from uh, uh, McCarthy's detractors is that um, he's going to be another Ryan or another Boehner. I don't think so because the political paradigm shift has changed so much since the mid-2010s, especially uh, with Trump's presidency and post-Trump's presidency. I don't think it's even possible for McCarthy to return to those days, even if he really wanted to. Thanks for the call, Mike. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. 
They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy talking about the uh, fight over the House speakership within the Republican incoming Republican caucus. One other aspect that we didn't cover before the news is this concern about uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the incoming minority leader, becoming the House Speaker because one faction or another would caucus with the Democrats or would enlist the Democrats, I should say, to form a coalition government. And, And in this way, there would be concessions like committee chairmanships and and that sort of thing. This uh, was fueled in part yesterday when um, the socialist uh, Spice Girl, front girl, AOC, oh, was on MSNBC saying this. If he chooses to approach uh, the Democratic caucus, then that would be a negotiation in and of itself for potential coalition government. Uh, but again, this is very much an unprecedented time. Yeah, so unprecedented that it happened 100 years ago, and then... Uh, what was the year, Dan? Uh, 1925, I think. And um, 1856, at, they voted 133 times. Yeah, that, right. So that, so it's I not, was in that, high school then, so no, I She doesn't it. know, that, um, unsurprisingly, AOC doesn't uh, apparently know what the term unprecedented actually means. But uh, the larger point about uh, the idea of a coalition government of some sort that McCarthy or the Freedom Caucus would work with Democrats to install, uh, though that sort of scuttlebutt that's going around. You know, both, just to be clear, both McCarthy and Scott Perry, the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, has said, um, have both committed to not do that. That would be, Good. that would be a, uh, it would be a terrible move if either party did that. I don't think that's going to happen. So I, I don't think there's much prospect of a, a Hakeem Jeffries speakership. Let's you know keep our wits about us a little bit here. It's one day. It was three votes. You have you know what the divide is. You know what the trust issue is. I, as I said before, the lack of acknowledgement and making of amends for the dismissive attitude McCarthy took toward the Freedom Caucus when he thought he was going to be. Uh, part of a big majority, the leader of a big majority. Um, But these are bridges that can be built pretty quickly. So, you know, I just want to tamp down some of the histrionics uh, that, of course, are attendant uh, by cable news with with including pundits, including you know, the name calling and the hysterics and the apocalyptic predictions and the conspiracy theories. Just chill out a little bit. You mean you didn't like what Congressman Dan Crenshaw said? If I didn't know any better, it's like the Democrats paid these people off. Hey, let's pay them off. Let's make it look like the Republicans can't govern and don't deserve any gavels whatsoever. That's what it makes it look like. 
Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, and uh, but he, again, Crenshaw, you think you're helping the matter? Is that what? Uh, is that a substantive point you're making? And Kevin McCarthy's not going anywhere. I mean, CNN followed him everywhere yesterday. He's like, "Can you st- you stop you ask, stop asking me that question? I'm not withdrawing." I'm not going anywhere. I will always fight to put the American people first, yeah. not a few blah, individuals blah, blah, that want something blah, for blah, themselves. Blah, 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 blah. So, as I said, you know, just chill out. You, you don't have to act like an asshat like Dan Crenshaw has a tendency to do. I mean, he's, he's, Crenshaw's sort of turning into uh, Adam Kinzinger right before our very eyes, getting a little annoying. Shut your mouth. You're, are you a uh, paragon of GOP unity? Is that how you're holding yourself out? So there's personality conflicts and there's trust issues. Uh, the trust issues, there's some merit to them. So why don't you shut up, get off cable TV for five seconds, and then go see if you can work, help work this thing out. I mean, their fourth vote's going to be at noon DC time, 11 a.m. our time. So hopefully something will happen. I mean, they're going to be meeting behind closed doors, right, Dan? So I've been in these leadership fights before, yeah. not myself as a candidate, but as like an operative. And, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the Republican Party in this state, what a joke it is. And we've had terrible leadership. But, hey, look, uh, you know, in the, the House Republicans, I wanted Marty McLaughlin from Barrington as less worse than Tony McCombie from uh, West Central Illinois. And Tony McCombie had the votes. And so that was it. Uh, do I think Tony McCombie is going to be a good House Republican leader in a line? No, just like Durkin wasn't, just like Cross wasn't. But she had the votes. So at the end of the day, uh, you have to figure a path to get the votes. And if you don't, then you move on and live to fight together or internally another day, depending on the issue. It's just politics. It's just politics. But it's also politics. In other words, it's aligning interests all the time, every matter where there is conflict. Who can align interests? And if you can't do it, then you have to acknowledge it or have that acknowledgement imposed upon you. And one of those two things is going to happen to the Freedom Caucus in the not-too-distant future, I suspect. Uh, Frank Arlington Heights here in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, I think it's time to end this. Um, I don't really uh, think it matters who is speaker that much. I don't. I don't have this big faith in Jim Jordan. I think he'd wind up to be just like John Kasich was. was um, remember him in the '90s? How he was this great wonder boy with the budget and so forth. Jim Jordan, you know, takes off his suit coat and rolls up his sleeves, and you know, he says a lot, but. But I have no faith in, in really any of these leaders, as, as a lot of American people do. We, we don't have faith in any of our institutions anymore. Until these people start doing stuff like having a $0 budget for the Justice Department and a $0 budget for the CDC. And uh, how about, uh, I saw this in American Greatness yesterday, no increase in a debt ceiling until Joe Biden resigns and Kamala Harris resigns. Um, these people aren't serious, and nothing substantive is going to change until there's an economic cataclysm in this country. Those are the only other two times it happened when you had the Civil War, when the Democrats just left, and the Depression, when the Republican majority went from a huge 50-seat majority down to a uh, 60-seat caucus. Those are the only times you get substantive, real changes. 
So these people are not serious. I have no faith in any of them. Okay. Well, somebody is going to have to uh, occupy that title, even if you don't have faith in them. And so, you know, that's the discussion, I guess, like I said before, uh, the, the choice that we often have as conservatives or Republicans in Illinois, which is who's least worst, who has the right. most potential upside, even if there are grave concerns about all parties uh, before us. Uh, Larry Bartlett. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Dan, one thing I would really like to hear discussed is remembering that the Speaker of the House is next in line for the presidency after the vice president. I wish no ill to either of them, but... Uh, you know, if something should happen, you know, it seems to me that most of what I've heard is a bunch of milk coast people who don't want to make sure that the U.S. stays number one, that we have a strong foreign policy, we have a strong military. Uh, I don't hear that from any of them. Well, I don't. Well, I don't know. Thanks for the call. I don't know that that's true. I think you hear that from many of them yeah. uh, to varying degrees of seriousness. Uh, and varying degrees of consistency with their actual records. But I think you hear that. And, again, one of the demands of the Freedom Caucus is putting forward uh, a border security plan, guaranteeing a floor vote on it. And, again, okay, yes, fine, that's good. Uh, I don't think like there is any confusion about the component parts of what a border security plan would look like. We've been doing this and talking about this literally for generations now. So I don't think there's anything particularly complicated or even that nuanced about it. Um, I mean, I get other than, you know, the compromises you would make with Democrats to get it to get uh, the border security you want and or, or any compromises at all. I mean, sort of, again, the politics, which are hard to game in a piece of legislation, completely game out. Um, but I like the fact that they're driving these policy discussions, but you can only do it for so long. And then when you don't have the votes, uh, you have to say, well, we remember we put a marker down. And then we rolled in and said, we didn't have the vote, so you're the speaker. And now we want to continue these substantive conversations that lead to legislation, that lead where appropriate to congressional inquiries. And let's get on with the business already. Yeah, Let's I mean, do let's... those three things that Jordan, that Jordan outlined in his speech nominating Kevin McCarthy yesterday. Yeah, because no one can be sworn in until they have a speaker. So if that's why you saw some children running around the chamber yesterday because they're waiting for their mom or dad to be sworn in. I hope they were masked. Uh, Jeff, downtown. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem is no, nobody cares anymore. We've already hit rock bottom in terms of the types of candidates that have already been elected, whether they be locally or nationally. I mean, come on. Nancy Pelosi was our speaker. Uh Look at these people we have here in Illinois. We've hit rock bottom, so it, it, it nobody cares. And what? And by the way, what happened to Marjorie Taylor Greene? What is she doing? Did she start sleeping with one of these guys or something? Hey, 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 hey. Well, she's no, what do you mean, the, she's supporting. I mean, it, what is she doing in supporting McCarthy? 
A lot of conservatives yeah. are supporting yeah. McCarthy. Yeah, a lot of You just heard Jim Jordan nominate him. Yeah. Which, yeah, George, you know, here's my biggest issue with the whole thing is we'll go, go back to the guy from Texas, Crenshaw. All right. This guy shouldn't talk at all. He was number two to Pelosi regarding how much money was made in the stock market. There's guys that are Navy SEALs that have called for this guy to hand in his trident. He's no longer part of the Brotherhood. Okay, this has been this has been on Twitter. This has been on Facebook. It, it, it's it, it's terrible. It's really terrible. I mean, here here we we put a girl in here in Illinois who's got no legs. Okay, sure, sure. She's going to get a lot done. A real lot. Uh, what, is, what is having that legs have to do? With it? Well, thanks for the call. Look, getting into military. I'm not getting. I'm not getting into Dan Crenshaw's military service. I'm getting. I'm specifically speaking of his time as a member of Congress as a politician. It's limited to that, and the same thing with Tammy Duckworth. Uh, Tom Blue Island. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Dan, I agree with you. In reference to the Chamber of Commerce, because that would be at least something specific. I don't, I don't have a problem with this taking weeks if we don't end up with another backstabbing Paul Ryan. Kevin McCarthy supposedly isn't Paul Ryan, but they're great friends. Now, he shouldn't be convicted because of his friends. I don't know what the guy's saying about Marjorie Taylor Greene. All she did is call out some people. What's wrong with some people being called out and being forced or at least put in a position of being on record of saying what they're going to do. Paul Ryan backstabbed the Republican Party, and I'll be damned if we, if we end up with another one. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the call for certain accountability measures. I mean, they're, they're frankly, if we're being honest, they're pretty limited. And you're talking about, uh, you know, politicians, even some of the good ones, or the better ones who are hardly immune from prevarications and parsing of words and massaging of positions. So at the end of the day, it's what I said before. The fights that will come are going to come regardless of if it's Kevin McCarthy or Jim Jordan or somebody else. They're going to come because they're going to be over the substantive policy issues of the day and who is best at aligning interests. And the Republican Party generally, establishment and conservatives, haven't been, you know, killing it when it comes to aligning interests in the for the purpose of advancing the flag for conservative reform issues. And that's the point of all this, not to get ensconced in the personality dynamics and the uh, the palace intrigue. Who do you think and who do you rely on to lead the coalition-building exercises that help to advance the flag for conservative reform issues? Who do you think will stand and fight? Who do you think will capitulate when the fight comes? I mean, that, to me, you just make simple determinations and you separate out uh, where people are from or what their physical or intersectional attributes are. It's like you're making a character assessment and uh, a skill assessment. And you look at the sort of comprehensive record, such as it's available from these individual people, whether it's a record from 
private life or public life or some combination of the two. I mean, all of the rest of this is just noise. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. In regards to Damar Hamlin, that Buffalo Bills safety who collapsed on the field on Monday night, uh, his uncle spoke to local press and uh, said that uh, his condition is trending upwards. That was the phrase that was used, trending upwards, still in critical condition, still on a ventilator, um, but uh, trending upwards, so that's good to hear. Yeah, and they flipped him on his stomach last night to you know, drain the fluid that's in his lungs. Um, but he's still in the ICU, and they're still just hoping that, uh, that he'll make it because he's not out of the woods yet by any means. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Yeah, but we also uh, learned his heart stopped once on the field, and then they resuscitated him. He had a cardiac arrest, not a heart attack. And then once again at the hospital, his heart stopped, and they resuscitated him. A cardiac arrest, not a heart attack. Uh, Dr. Jacobson, the police. Well, no, I have difference. a heart condition. I have a heart valve, and so does my mom. We have a heart valve problem. So cardiac arrest is a, the electric, ready, <laughs> electronic malfunction in the heart where a heart attack is the blood flow to the heart is blocked i see um yeah resuscitated twice once in the field once at the hospital and um now of course uh, it we turned getting past his uh, updating his condition with what we know which is not very much other than what his family members have said right. and if we could uh not get too far outside of our knowledge zone uh, like some doctors are doing and suggesting what could possibly have occurred on Monday night without any knowledge of his underlying health. We don't know if he had an undiagnosed heart condition or anything of the sort. Not that I've heard. I mean, his uncle saying, you know, he was as healthy as a horse. I don't know of anything. That's not the same thing. And obviously, you know, you would think uh, you get physicals and such as a professional athlete right. r- routinely or annually. But uh, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that everything that is there is caught in such an examination. So we don't know. But what we do know is the commentary about 
what happened and now what should happen with respect to the game of football, with respect to that specific game between the Bills and the Bengals, with respect to football this weekend. That game should never be rescheduled, I've heard commentators say. Well, because you can't play a game on a Wednesday and then be ready to go again on Sunday. So as soon as they canceled that game. Did I say Sunday? I said that game should never be rescheduled. Oh, never be rescheduled? That's, what, that's what, what was argued. Maybe their games on Sunday should be suspended altogether out of respect for DeMar Hamlin. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also text us at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Uh, people getting ready for the DeMar Hamlin Foundation toy drive next Christmas yet? $6 million it's up to, so I figured this out. All right, I don't like to do math, but I did it. So McKee's Rocks, Pennsylvania, which is called the Rocks, has a population of 5,920 people. So would you say about a fourth or a little bit more than a fourth are children? So $6 million divided by about 1900 Each kid should get $4,000 next year for Christmas. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Yeah. Sure. I'm just, you know, or they, maybe they could turn it into a scholarship and, you know, beside, take this on beyond toys. You know, help them out, all the kids, if that's what his mission was. And that was, you know, this was him on this year's toy drive. I just grabbed his hand a little bit harder. Just... What's up? It's Lamar Hamlin. Back at the hometown, back at the crib. Third annual toy drive, man. We're doing it for the kids. Having a good time, man. So let's get back to it. And then they you know, had a music video of all the kids opening their presents, and it was wonderful. And I'm, yeah. I, I, you know, all indications are he's a nice young man, and he's got a nice foundation, and he's giving back to his community, and that's great. So, as I said yesterday, in my rants on this, this has nothing to do with Demar Hamlin making a character assessment of him. Everything I've heard and seen, lovely young guy, excellent. And certainly nothing to do with his condition because everybody wants him to recover fully and maybe hopefully play football someday again if that's what he wants to do and is able to do it. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with, as I said, teasing this last hour, people who are running to social media and running to their checkbooks to make sure that um, they make space in their charitable giving and their uh, iconography on their uh, social media title pages for a DeMar Hamlin logo and a DeMar Hamlin check because they're good people. Now, hashtag pray for number three. And you don't want to forget about them in this moment where you're uh, hopeful that Tamar Hamlin makes a full and speedy recovery. Don't want to forget about them and what great people they are. And what a commentary on our current culture the response is. Well, I mean, That's Tom Brady gave $10,000. Robert Kraft. Uh, that better not have been FTX money. <laughs> uh, Verlon, Southside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer draw attention to the second big picture because we all know his situation is the first big picture and we all wish him well but let's not forget eight to ten years ago the whole news media was up in arms about hits 
everywhere hits, everywhere uh, concussions, and what should we do when the doctors was all on TV. And that's what led to all of the money monies being given to all of the communities around the United States, and that's how they re- rebuilt their image. And, of course, they started giving the Black Lives Matter and everything. Maybe the news media is trying to get a little bit of that now. Like you said yesterday, a fund of 2500 uh, that's all they was asking for, and they got $3 million, and Amy just said now it's $6 million. Six million yeah. Maybe they're trying to get money out of the people all over again to, to give to whatever causes that the media thinks they should give to. Thanks for the call, Verlon. Uh, John and Crown Point. Hi, Dan and Amy. I love your show. Love Amy more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Hey, uh, we learned the well, authorities about John and Crown Point yet. I'm sorry, hey, John. Go uh, ahead. Yeah, I agree that they they did uh, stop the game. I thought that was that was great of them to do that. Um, yeah. yeah, I wonder if he did get that COVID um, vaccine, if that had anything to do with it. And then third, they should not reschedule the game because I had uh, some money on DraftKings. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. What happens Thanks to people call, who John. bet, Dan? You're a little bit of a gambling man. I mean, what happens? The, it's just, just the, 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 the refunded. I mean, it's an okay. incomplete game, so it's refunded. Uh, John in Naperville. Yeah, it's horrible what happened to this guy, but I'm sick and tired of people saying there's a problem in the league. This was a freak accident that happened once in, what, a billion? And where's the outrage when every police officer gets shot like this or every young kid gets mm-hmm. shot on the south side? People really have their uh, morals and their standards completely screwed up. Should the police officers say, oh, we just we just shouldn't go to work this weekend because, uh, you know, one of our officers got shot. No, they buckle it up and they go every single day. It, it, this is really pathetic. Thanks for the call, John. Uh, David French, uh, who's, who's transitioned now uh, from uh, Christian conservative to sentimental leftist is now complete that he's been uh, named as a columnist for the New York Times. He is completely transitioned now. Um, he, uh, his comment though is so perfect. What did he and, say? It, and it's, and this is emblematic of his transition from serious person to sentimental barbarian. Ryan Clark, the Steelers, former Steelers great, who was on that night with Scott Van Pelt on Monday night, who I was very critical of yesterday because he went on this 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 tangent about how football players put their lives on the line every day and they, and they should they should be beyond criticism. You know, the next time you want to criticize an NFL player for his performance, think about DeMar Hamlin. What? what? Are you kidding? Uh, but David French talking about, writing about this at his uh, just almost intolerable substack. Ryan Clark's words, we're talking about a human being here. So powerful. David French was so moved by Ryan Clark's observation that we're talking about a human being. I'm also sick of listening mainly to football players and then their sort of sentimental sophists who run interference for them like david french oh it's so powerful he's a human being yeah well aware we understand that professional athletes are human beings 
well, maybe if we remembered they're human beings, we would treat them differently. Really? How do we treat other human beings who aren't famous? <laughs> do we have to, should we remind people that every person you come to go, hey, that's a human being. That's a human being. Thank you for it's letting me so, know. It's so absurd. And, hey, we have to remember, football players aren't superheroes. Are we seven years old? I know you're not a superhero. I'm aware football players are not superheroes. Uh, you know, I don't do. Do we have to go full Barkley and teach all the seven-year-olds that athletes aren't necessarily role models? Your mom, your dad's a role model, so on and so forth. I, it's just I, I, I'm, I, I, I just despise being talked to like a toddler, and that's what these pundits do. That's what these sentimentalists in every sector do. It is insulting. And it sickens me that so many Americans are incapable of being insulted. They are incapable of being talked down to. In other words, there's, there's no reaction to it. Please talk to me like a toddler. Treat me like a toddler. Please talk down to me. Well, you would love comedian Jess Elnick. When he talked about, I, I would love comedian Jessel. Anthony Jesselneck is like my favorite comedian. You should, you should, well, you should get to know me in the next decade that we're together. Yeah, I've talked about Anthony Jesselneck. I've gone to fifteen of his shows. Yeah, I got well, Jesselneck. Jesselneck. Yeah. Uh, no, this is the this is right up your alley. Then this is who I'm making fun of when I make a joke on Twitter the day of a tragedy. The people who see something horrible happen in the world and they run to the internet. And they run to their social media, their Facebook, their Twitter, whatever they got, and they all write down the exact same thing. My thoughts and prayers. <laughs> My thoughts and prayers with the people in Aurora. My thoughts and prayers with the families in Boston. Do you know what that's worth? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> less than nothing. Less than nothing. You are not giving any of your time, your money, or even your compassion. All you are doing, all you are doing is saying, don't forget about me today. Don't forget about me. Lots of crazy distractions in the news right now, but don't forget how sad I am. There's something else to it, and that's a great riff that Justin that goes on, but there's something else to it. It's also the power of conformity. I have to say what everybody else is saying to conform. So it's not, some people probably don't even look at it as look at me, although some do. A lot of it's just conform. I have to, I have to be on record as having sad thoughts and prayers. I have to be on record as saying I'm devastated so that I know what to say to my friends, so that when we talk about it at the water cooler, whatever, I'm right in line with everybody else. The power of conformity, that's another thing that's been lost in uh, America. I mean, that that's, that's, continues to marginalize like independent thinking. Right. I wouldn't even say individuality. Independent thinking. To the be rush silent to conform. is to be violent. The rush to conform. By the way, Jeselnik is responding to this controversy that he was embroiled in. He's talking about, you heard at the beginning, talking about a tweet. 
on the day of the Boston Marathon bombing, yeah, the day of it, he tweeted out, some lines aren't meant to be crossed. And he lost his Comedy Central show over that tweet because he refused to apologize for it. And so what he was doing with that riff is explaining what that tweet meant, who it was directed at, and why he wouldn't apologize for it. And how many people would do that today? And I'm not putting Anthony Jeselnik on some kind of pedestal, calling him a hero, or anything of the sort. I'm just saying. Independent thinking. And also, the willingness to call out the phony. Because it is. It's phony. It's faux emotion sentimentality. It's worth less than nothing. He's right. Chris and Carrie are on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, I have friends that have grown men who are almost in tears about this whole thing. You know, every, every, every career, every job comes with a certain risk uh, tolerance, and it's understandable, and it's higher probably for professional athletes playing a violent sport uh, that is for, you know, some guy a security guard. But my problem is, where is the outpouring for the kids in, like, the Congo, who, if they don't comply with forced labor, slavery, they have their hands or limbs chopped off um, or, or, or destined to a life of working in a mine and, 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 and suffer intolerable consequences. Well, well you can... You, you, so, so, so you can do the whataboutism all day long, too, and then you could just spend your entire life weeping over all of the human tragedy and man's inhumanity demand that occurs on a daily basis the world over. You can do that. Um, or you can sort of recognize the existence of said evil that emanates from man who is inherently evil, oh, by the way, uh, and, you know, just make an impact where you can and, and cope. Cope. Exactly. Quietly. Don't carry on. Humbly. Don't carry on. Yeah. Don't uh, overwrought. I'm so overwrought because it was a public thing. So I have to chime in and I have to make sure that my expression of grief is at least as great, if not greater than my neighbor. That's phony. Thanks for the call, Chris. <laughs> is it, I mean, last night they lit Niagara Falls blue. <clears throat> for him, and then buildings in uh, Cincinnati and in Buffalo were lit blue in honor of him. Hey, um, and don't tell me, because I know you know. Hey, who was that uh, Detroit uh, uh, Lions lineman who got paralyzed in the game? Oh, Michael Utley. Is this, is this microphone on? Did I just say don't tell me, because I know you oh, know? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, just, just dizzying. Tim in Woodstock, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, I, when I was watching the game, and um, I, I got a little caught up in it that night, but it was like the next day I was thinking, you know, if this had happened at Walmart, if, if an employee suddenly, you know, had some, an incident like this or Home Depot, do you think the store would shut down? Like no, everybody would they just keep shut working. down the whole 
yep. they'd be expected to keep working. That's that's right. And it's not to belittle what what happened to them. We all wish them well, but um, you know, just something's changed in our culture where we react differently, especially to uh, a star. You know, some somebody famous, uh, or let's say at a you know higher level as we as we think um, that um, it it kind of gets blown out of proportion and ridiculous. You know, part of life is suffering, and it's not a bad part. There's a lot of value in suffering. But that's something else that's been lost, too, as we have lost our connection to our Judeo-Christian founding, the value in suffering. So we do these performative acts to feign suffering. And we add no value and we get no value. And then we're not prepared for real suffering. Can't cope. And we're passing that on to generations from millennials to Z and whatever comes beyond that, behind them, whatever we're calling the kids that come from be, come behind them. I, I, I don't know. I just, it's just, it's just like, it's such a big fraud and I just can't be a part of it. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, first uh, trans woman executed in American history. Is that right? Yeah, it happened last night in uh, Missouri. But the person they transitioned while they were on death row. Uh-huh. They Just started like the transition Speck. three years ago. Our, yeah. our tax dollars paid for it. Uh, killed uh, this dude killed his girlfriend in 2003, and uh, was executed in Missouri yesterday. Stalking, killing a former girlfriend, dumped the body in the Mississippi River in St. Louis. Uh, Governor Parson of Missouri declined a clemency. Uh, the dude said, the dude who was pretending to be a woman, Amber, uh, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm a loving and caring person. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, in the clemency petition, the clemency petition, her, uh, McLaughlin's attorneys, his attorneys, <clears throat> cited his traumatic childhood and mental health issues, which the jury never heard during the trial. And uh, if this is true, it, it was traumatic. It was terrible. Foster parent rubbed feces in his face when he was a toddler. Her adoptive father used a stun gun on him. It cited severe depression that resulted in multiple suicide attempts both as a child and as an adult. The petition also included reports citing a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Huh. Hmm. Gender dysphoria. Wait, I don't... So this this person pretending to be a woman who was executed was mentally ill? Or we were just making a mental illness claim to try to save his life in the 11th hour? Hmm. 
so so the, the trans but community they're not mentally ill that they're not superheroes either right they're just human beings just like we learned this week that professional athletes are just human beings so so the trans community they're not magical they're just human beings too with all the frailties that human beings have so they're they're not beyond reproach is that what i'm to understand uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, at Nutrier High School, one of the uh, wonderful high schools and that Tony North Shore, most well-educated communities in the world, so civilized, good people. Wonderful houses. Homes? Mm. Less so. Uh, the Nutrier policy on pronouns, Nutrier High School policy on pronouns. Uh, Chuck Heston, prepare to roll in your grave. Uh, this comes to us from uh, Nutrier Neighbors. They've unearthed this. The Nutrier policy, use of their pronouns in different spaces assure the student that you will use the pronouns and name or names they requested in class if students request they be referred to differently with parents or other areas of the school let them know you will make note of it so you can so they can be referred to differently in conversations with those individuals call me danielle when mom and dad are here or call me Dan, I should say, maybe when mom and dad are here, but call me Danielle when they're not around kind of thing. Uh, this is consistent with the uh, Illinois State Board of Education guidance on the matter. Of course it is. Wonderful. So that means it's not limited to New Trier. So if you've got uh, kids in government schools, K-12, through and frankly even some private schools, you may want to perk your ears up. The uh, Illinois State Board of Education recommends, among other things, schools should survey all students on an annual basis, determine how they wish to identify themselves during school-related functions, and how they wish to be addressed in communications with their parents slash guardians, including in all documents sent to their parents and guardians, because you can have one identity at school and then another identity with your parent or guardian. District staff should never out a child to their family. Right, because, you know, teachers and parents are not necessarily aligned in the interests of the kids. Teachers come first and school administrators and anybody at the school, and then parents come after that. You're a stakeholder in your child's life, as uh, Miguel Cardona, uh, Mr. 10% Secretary of Education, famously said. You're a stakeholder, but you're not the primary stakeholder. So know your place. Regarding overnight field trips, do not send notifications or permission slips to parents and or students regarding a student's transgender, non-binary, or gender non-conforming identity. Hmm. So, um, you know, the active encouragement by the school to deceive parents. That's inclusive. Yeah, I found out about this a few weeks ago, that if Johnny or Jimmy or Susan want to be referred to differently um, at home, or you don't have to tell the parents. 
You can just keep it as a school secret. I don't have to. Um, Schools should checking. survey to determine how they wish. District staff should never. Do not send. Those are the recommendations. So, yeah, you could call them just recommendations or Illinois State Board of Education guidance, but they're being implemented as edicts because, of course, the school, the, the same people on the Illinois State Board of Education, the same profile of people, are the people in charge of all these government schools. And kids so, 12 so, 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 so don't give me the, the you don't have to. No, no, no. This is should, will. This is being imposed. It's not, if, uh, yeah, we, we're indifferent. You can or you can't. That's not what's happening. Of course and not. And if they want to seek counseling, if they're 12 to 18, they don't need their parents' permission. CDC urges teachers, administrators, school nurses to adopt LGBT curriculum, endorse trans identity. Look, the, here we go. The CDC, CDC. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, in the interest of mental health, gender dysphoria, not an issue. Apparently not. Not a concern. Uh, they're going to make recommendations and then public health and Illinois State Board of Education will make recommendations and then the school board will make implementations or school district, I should say, and with perhaps the school board in tow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why should you care about any of this? What does it matter? What's the big deal? Right? Why do I care about uh, pronoun usage in the government schools? No big deal. Why, do I, why does a parent need to know that Dan has a different identity at school than he does at home? What's the big deal? Is it? Is it a big deal? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 646-360-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Shouldn't keep uh, secrets from your parents. Why? Everybody has secrets. Big deal. No. Because we should be governing our children, not the government-run schools, or parenting, and have that right to be a parent. You parent your kid however you want at home within the bounds of the law, and however he presents himself at home, and then we'll do it in the within the walls of our school, where you know, in loco parentis, we substitute you at school. Simple as that. What's the problem? Is there one? I, maybe there isn't one. Mm-hmm. And then at school, they can do things like, I don't know, if they're a man claiming to be a woman, um, in addition to getting tampons from the boys' room, they want, they need to, or a woman claiming to be a man, goes either way, because men can man straight, as you know. Um, they can... Um, Insert frozen tomato paste uh, popsicles into themselves to get the real feeling of having a period. Yeah, they're mimicking a period. Right. Um, and That's this a thing. Is considered normal. I know. I I thought butt babies were bad when you talked about that, and then they come in different colors because you men stick a baby anyway. in your anus and then you experience childbirth like a woman would, sort of. <sighs> right. But this is this is mental illness. I mean, this is disgusting. Frozen V8 popsicles uh, you make with molds for uh, bottled water from Walmart. Um, do, 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 you, uh, yeah, you know, and then I mean, there's there's a whole like instructional here. I, I maybe I don't need. I don't to think we should go, go into the that. detail, but uh huh. 
Yeah. Ice cube tray, frozen tomato juice to create my menstrual flow. What's great about these is I can control my flow rate by the number of cylinders that I use, for example. During the beginning of my monthly period, I always use two or three in order to give a, health, a heavy menstrual flow. They're so handy for that. I used to try tomato juice, red Gatorade enemas, but found it didn't get the results I was hoping for. I'm so mm-hmm. elated to find other girls with a U that enjoy this very feminine part of our girly with a U life. Isn't that great? So they do that at school, at home, maybe both, maybe just one or the other. What's the big deal? They use a period tracker app on the phone to mark their They're living their girly lives. What is the problem? I don't understand what the problem is. Tony Southside. Hey, Happy New Year, Amy Lamb and Dan. I wanted to point out on the interweb. So, you know, as I'm, you know, scrolling through, finding out about this, this sicko, that uh, the, the, every single website, especially, you know, the liberal websites, the focus was on the transgender inmate being executed. About five, six paragraphs about, you know, pros and cons and all stuff, before you even get into the fact that this guy brutally raped a woman, stabbed her with a freaking steak knife, and threw her into the St. Louis River. I, this world's gone mad. Thanks. God bless. Thanks for the call, Tony. Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? What's the big deal? Hmm. Nobody has an answer. We're never going to get our society back. <laughs> Um, Jeffrey Younger, we brought you this case before. He has lost his court case to prevent his ex-wife from taking their son to California where he can be chemically castrated because he identifies as a girl. Oh, you didn't think that could happen, did you? Uh Uh-huh. In Illinois? Like California? Didn't think that could happen, did you? Right. Mm-hmm. How about when, uh, if they haven't already, uh, medical facilities adopt the protocol of Britain's National Health Service, where if you request a same-sex health care worker, that uh, necessarily includes, let's say you're a woman and you request a woman doctor, uh that would necessarily include a man who's identifying as a woman. That constitutes uh, a same-sex healthcare worker, and you shall be treated by that man pretending to be a woman. I don't know. I mean, if you think that like all this stuff is just uh, playtime at K through twelve, and it stays within the walls of a K through 12 school system, and then people get onto the real world and all that nonsense isn't tolerated, then you're not paying attention and you've learned nothing about what has occurred over the last 50 years in our culture. As if things stay where they've been incubated, much like a virus. They just stay within the walls of the lab, the K through 12 government re-education camps. Wrong. The collegiate totalitarian re-education camps, wrong. And so you think this now, this latest, will stay here, won't come to my doorstep, won't impact me. Right. And how many illustrations of quote-unquote cancel culture 
must you witness before you start to connect the dots and perhaps take an interest in the future of your community and country? Marty, Naperville. Yeah, it's a simple question. A woman wants to be a man. You say to this, to, to this person, when you go to the doctor to get a physical, do they check your prostate? If this woman says no, then she ain't a man. If a man wants to be a woman and he goes to his doctor, you say, do you get your prostate checked? If he says yes, then you say, then you ain't a woman. It's plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Marty. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, COVID amnesty. COVID amnesty, are you ready now to let bygones be bygones? We need to check in every so often on the topic because the COVIDians keep pushing it. So let's do a 2023 check-in on the topic. Michael Sanger is a uh, attorney and um, author. He posted a thread just reminding everyone how those who resisted any of the Covidians' directives were treated over the last three years. I had forgotten this one myself. Which one? Illinois. Unvaccinated hospital patients in Illinois should pay for their COVID-19 care. Unvaccinated hospital patients in Illinois should pay for their COVID-19 care. That's legislation that was proposed by Skokie Democrat legislator Jonathan Carroll. Who, by the way, uh, we had uh, um, we discussed at the towards the end of last year, former staffer of his accusing uh, him and his chief of staff of having uh, attempted to force her to get an abortion and then fired her when she wouldn't. That's the accusation. Jonathan Carroll. Yeah, that's the man behind the legislation there. And that was, and by the way, that's just an example. Of course, this was the attitude of Covidians writ large. Jonathan Carroll was hardly the only one. He doesn't have original thoughts. He just repeats what he hears from the feds, like most dutiful Dem socialists, which is uh, the unvaccinated should be treated as a pariah class, and there needs to be penalties imposed for them not complying. And one of them is you're on your own when it comes to, to health care it's i know you know what you pay for and i know what we guarantee the government but you're out yeah it's your fault because you didn't get vaccinated so you have to pay for it paris hospital chief sparks debate on whether unvaccinated patients should pay for treatment the world over Mm -hmm. um there was uh talk in uh, uh places like colorado (laughs) <laughs> should the unvaccinated be denied health care as hospitals reach capacity the ethics of who is prioritized in triage gets murky 
forget you have to pay it for it yourself. No health care for you. No soup for you. And this, again, there are myriad examples of this around the world that he's nicely documented for us. It's always good to have some archival material to reference, to remind people of what they experienced in case they have forgotten how boorish and inhumane was the treatment of so many by so few for so long during the lockdown era. Yeah, if you wanted your kids back at school, then, well, you don't mind, you're killing grandma. All that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm. Vaccinated America has had enough, wrote David Fromm, intoning in the Atlantic. You know, oh, the, the Jeremiads and the fulminations. Yeah. Equal priority. Should they get equal priority? Uh-huh. The unvaccinated have become a lethal liability we can ill afford. Get rid of them all together, maybe. Austria plans to approve lockdown for the unvaccinated. <laughs> and on That's and so on cute. and on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> the the response now, though, is sort of these soft-pedaling uh, purveyors of amnesty. It's really something. Um, for example, and um, the um, blogger, substacker, Eugipius has, uh, has this one. It's a good write-up. Elena... Buix is the chair of the German Ethics Council. She's warning against assigning blame for pandemic failures. Um, you know, what we need is honest retrospection and learning. Uh, nobody should be held personally accountable. There's no point in that. Of course not. Um, a wonderful description of her by Eugipius. Like Emily Oster, Buix is a archetypal, uh, archetypal uh, head girl. Highly conscientious, deeply conformist, mildly intelligent, and totally bereft of all originality and independence of thought. How many people does that describe meandering about, particularly in the media? Highly conscientious, deeply conformist, mildly intelligent, totally bereft of all originality and independence of thought. Perfect! Put her in charge of an ethics council. Sounds like somebody who should be in senior leadership at the WHO or the CDC or just about anywhere in the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. NIH, Anthony Fauci's gone. Yeah. She gave a interview, did uh, Elena, the mildly intelligent Elena, uh, with a German publication about this issue of essentially assignment of blame, accountability. Uh, she wrote, she uh, said in this interview, there's a deep comprehensive need to deal with the pandemic and apparently also to find someone to blame. And for very different aspects of it, blame for individual decisions or for the whole policy, for what happened to people, for their losses, and for political decisions, for measures, for even for discussions, for statements and much more. And that's where you reach the limits of what's possible. Personally, I have no problem apologizing for the fact that we at the Ethics Council here in, there in Germany, have not focused enough on the young, but there's something insatiable about this need to find culprits, which sometimes seems to me more about revenge 
uh, about seeking prop- uh, propitiation. A search for culprits driven by revenge and anger is dangerously easy, and it's not a solution. It doesn't help at all. There's a need for much more learning and honest, serious retrospection. There's an obligation to do that, and that's what's happening. It's about learning from what didn't go well and looking to the future with new recommendations. All this should remain constructive. We shouldn't stop at criticism and self-criticism, but no one would benefit from public flagellation now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Three one two six four two five six zero zero is our turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also text us at six four six three six, then type in DA in a quick comment. Do you see? Do you think that's what's going on? Do you see that uh, in the political class in the uh, within these public health bureaucracies within the uh, managerial class in academia in corporate America? Do you see? Is that what's going on? Self-reflection, self-criticism, thinking about what went well and what didn't go well, and charting a course for tomorrow. Is that what's going on? Do you see any evidence of that? What I see is a reflexive defense of everything that was done by those individuals who had who were in those positions of authority. And I see a soft peddling of what didn't go well to use the euphemistic phraseology of the Covidian. I don't see uh we're not going to, I don't hear a, we're not going to do this again. I don't hear a, I said this and it turned out to be that. And I got uh, a little bit out over my skis I hear an apology to parents or I was wrong and kids should have stayed in school because we knew or we are with, you know, we're not with 100% certainty, but we knew that this affected an older population. There's not, there's no, there's no even admission of that in most of these circles. There's no admission of all the things that were said that turned out to be untrue, much less any discussion of what we're going to do next time or what we're going to do this winter if there is a spike in COVID cases based on what we've learned over the last three years. There's none of that. No, they're so, just and, and the, the, masks. The, the defense will be, oh, well, you know, if you weren't out looking for vengeance, seeking culprits, then we could have more constructive dialogue. No. First of all, it's your responsibility, you who are in charge, you who are in decision positions of authority, positions of, of decision-making, you who are the shot callers, pun intended. It's your responsibility to bring to the table a review, public review of your job performance. That's not happening. In fact, they're clinging, if I can borrow an Obamaism, to the policies that have been discredited. That's what I see from most of these Covidians, whether it's at public health agencies, uh, in the public sector, or in the private sector in C-suites. 
I hear, uh, what are their recommendations now? It's time to get back to work. But I don't hear, I don't hear or see any sort of reckoning for how wrong people were. Again, the shot callers and the impacts that their poor judgment had. And frankly, not even ultimately the judgment calls they made, but the way they participated in the silencing or the attempted silencing of people who questioned their judgment. Mm -hmm. What about this? What about that? Did you consider this? Have you thought about that? It, actually, the science on this is unclear, and you're speaking about it like it is a metaphysical certitude. If somebody can point uh, to a COVIDian, somebody that supported the lockdown policies, supported all the mandates, in any walk of life that is saying anything of this sort, I'd like to, I'd like to know about them. <laughs> We'll, call, we'll have him on the show and talk to him. I mean, my mom lost five friends this year. Three died suddenly. But two, one, she just she didn't like the way she was, her opinion about COVID. So she doesn't talk to her anymore. And the other one thought my mom gave her COVID. So she doesn't talk to her anymore. I mean, these people, people in position of power brainwashed part of our society. And now you've, you know, friendships broken, marriages broken up lifelong friendships that are never going to be you know reconciled the reckoning why the reckoning is important at the shot caller level going back to eugippius his write-up yeah the damage has been done um where it might help the reckoning is dissuading future bureaucrats and policymakers from doing anything similar the next time a novel coronavirus presents itself that's something that people like this uh, mildly intelligent public health bureaucrat in Germany simply can't understand because they have no real idea what went wrong. Something went wrong, and we need to think about it in sort of an abstract way, but we certainly don't need to identify any responsible parties or impose any consequences. The most important thing, as it was during COVID, is that we're all in it together. Yeah, right. David and Wakanda, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys. So let me get this straight. These people all expect everyone to forgive and forget all of their bad policies. These are also the same people that will go back and find a senior year picture of Dan Prop wearing blackface and they'll try to ruin your life. Oh, my God, look what Dan did when he was 17. Thanks for the call, David. Dan would never do that. Uh-huh. Uh, text messages, without consequences for your actions, you'll never learn. Right. And if we don't impose them, then we'll never learn. Mm-hmm. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. 
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You know how I know we're in for some economic turbulence this year? How? Goldman Sachs is eliminating free coffee at their office in New York. Uh, They uh, made the announcement. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. You think I'm f***ing with you? I am not f***ing with you. No, they're serious. Uh, No coffee, no free coffee at Goldman Sachs anymore. Goldman Sachs can't afford the coffee. Uh, Huh. Yeah. Boy, it's not... First, you know, first uh, Elon Musk pulls all those uh, millennial coders out of their Twitter pods and... Now this at Goldman Sachs. Now, uh, someplace where it is going well. Where? Where you can provide, you can uh, seek some safe haven. Some. The entire state of Florida. Ron DeSantis was inaugurated oh. to a second term yesterday, and this and is what he had beautiful. to say. Space Coast to the Sun Coast, from St. John's to St. Lucie, from the streets of Hialeah, to the Speedway in Daytona, from the Okeechobee all the way up to Micanopee. Freedom lives here in our great sunshine state of Florida. It lives in the dreams of the historic number of families who have moved from states across this country because they saw Florida as the land of liberty and the land of sanity. The land of liberty and the land of sanity. Come on down. You know, I got to tell you, uh, Governor Plenty Pritzker, of room. His, Water's warm. Yeah, his inauguration's uh, later this week. And I don't think it's going to have the same tone as DeSantis has had, do you? I mean, there's really nothing to celebrate. And I think he's going to be angry. And in his speech, he's going to be looking for, you know, seeking higher office. Where DeSantis was focused on what he accomplished and what the goals are for the next four years for families in Florida. For more on this, please be joined by Steve Moore, our first interview of Steve in this new year. Steve, uh, he's economist and GovZilla author. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Happy New Year. By the way, coffee is for closers. Those are words to live by. What That's movie right. was Glenn Gary? What Glenn Gary, Glenn Rose? What movie was Glenn, that? Glenn, come on. Glenn Gary, Glenn right. Ross. That's right. Yeah. Ma'am, that's Pulitzer Prize right. winning yeah. play. Great. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it is getting tough when you can't even get a free cup of coffee anymore. At Goldman Sachs, uh, of all places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, look, um, I know what Putzker's going to say. I call him Putzker. I know what your governor's going to say. He's going to say, will the last person in Illinois please turn out the lights? Yeah, I don't think he's going to say that. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people are saying, I mean, but you, I don't think he's going to echo you it. Saw what, <laughs> you saw what happened with the census data that came out last week by state. I think Illinois was number third, number three in uh, mm-hmm. in lost citizens to other states, and many of them did go to uh, Florida, but many also went to Tennessee. Many went to Texas. Many went to South Carolina, Arizona. Many went to Indiana, uh, for God's sakes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, even West Virginia. You guys are losing population to West Virginia. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so um, uh, give us your outlook on the outlooks that have been presented for 2023. Uh, uh, I mean, there's there seems to be divided opinion whether or not we're going to 
formally find ourselves in recession? <sighs> you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. <laughs> Just a few days after the start of the new year, I do think that, uh, look, we have policies that are doing great damage to our country, whether it's Biden's energy policies, the, the massive uh, spending that's caused the, you know, the, the double, near double-digit inflation in this country, um, the fact that the border's not secure, the fact that you've got crime out of control in our cities. I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of problems. And I was just looking at the Gallup poll, uh, which just came out um, a day or so ago. Um, and Americans are in a pretty dour mood right now. They, they kind of see the the you know the negative effects of what um has happened to our country in the last couple of years so i do think that there's a way that if, if republicans you know right now there's going to be high intrigue and on capitol hill today when the republicans decide to try, try to figure out who's going to be the next speaker of the house my friend john fund who is uh you know a, a political uh, guru he thinks right now that mccarthy's chances of being speaker are less than 50 50 so that means we might have a Speaker Scalise or a Speaker Jim Jordan or a real conservative, which would be something. But you need somebody who's going to stand up to Biden and fight for, you know, fiscal sanity in Washington, fight against big government, fight to bring back American energy. And uh, you need that because if, if you get somebody who will stop the rampage of bad policies of, out of Biden, then I think we could actually avoid a recession. I don't want to see a recession. I want, I want America to win, not lose. But, well, well, you know, well part of the problem, though, too, I mean, not to get too in the weeds here, yeah. but uh, the journal had a good op-ed on this uh, over the weekend. You know, part of it is you still you're having um, important parts of the 2017 tax relief plan that yeah. are being yep. phased out, capital expensing and R&D expensing yep. and interest yep. expensing. Yep. And so this means less investment, less investment in an, in a, in an environment that we, where you already see high interest rates. So less investment, yep. less capital uh, formation means less capital allocation means less productivity. Uh, you're right about that. And, you know, I got a kick out of that. Um, the, the IRS declared the IRS, which is going to have 87,000 more IRS agents. By the way, that's got to be the, one of the top priorities of Republicans when they take control of the House uh, in, in the next day or two, which is to basically say, hell no, we're not going to hire 87,000 new IRS agents to harass American citizens. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll just give you one little quick anecdote about the economy that's sort of worrisome. But I think there's it's important for people to hear this because uh, one of my a guy who I used to interview all the time when I was at the Wall Street Journal named Bob Funk. He is runs the biggest employment agency in the United States. Uh, he he puts uh, he hires uh, over six hundred thousand workers a year in temporary uh, you know employment um, slots, and so he's a really good bar- barometer of what's happening with the jobs market. And he called me the day said, Steve, starting like right after Thanksgiving, the the job market, then orders for new workers just has fallen off a cliff. So it's, there's a slowdown coming. There's no question about it. And the reason I bring that up is for people who are listening to this show, if, you did, if you're thinking about getting a job and you don't have one now, get one now because I think we're going to see a much worse jobs market. Uh, you know, we've had a situation for the last year or two where actually, you know, everywhere you went was, you know, the companies needed workers. I think those are days are coming to an end, uh, Dan, as the economy slows down. So get a job if you don't have one. Get off the couch. Uh, going back to the uh, speakership and yeah. the, the, the controversy within yeah. the Republican ranks right now, um, 
what is your, I mean, if Jim Jordan doesn't want the job, um, you know, maybe Scalise could be drafted, I guess. But um, is is there a market difference between a Scalise and a McCarthy in terms of the speakership? I'm not, uh, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm not um, hostile to McCarthy, but I think Scalise is a true conservative. And what look, what the what the conservatives in the House want and they're being accused of being the chaos uh, caucus and so on. And look, I, I mean, they, they were fighting for principle here. And the two things that they asked McCarthy for, which I think are incredibly reasonable and wise, uh, are number one, they want a vote on a seven or eight year balanced budget plan. Oh, gee, what a shocking idea that we return to a balanced budget. We haven't balanced our budget in something like 25 years in Washington. So, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's have a balanced budget plan and put it out there. Um, I think most, I think 80% of Americans would agree with that idea. The second thing they want is something that I've always favored, and I, Dan and Amy, I haven't talked to you guys about this issue, but they want to vote on term limits for Congress. And I'm a huge yeah. advocate of term limits. Yeah. For, I, I'm a Yawn. big fan of it. You know, I hate professional politicians. They're destroying our country. So, you know, let's, and by the way, that's something also 80% of Americans favor. So those are two things that are very reasonable. And McCarthy doesn't want to have a vote on those two things. By the way, I know you guys are not, you, you know, you, you don't like the idea too much, but you know what? I bet, I bet most of your listeners like the idea. It's, it's not even about, it's not even about, more, not that Amy on this one. Well, it's probably, <laughs> it's not, it's not even about liking the idea. It's just like, it's such a virtue signaling waste of time. I, I said earlier in the show, you know, what would be more impressive from the okay. caucus or from Kevin McCarthy. Let's not focus on virtue signaling votes not to, in support of term limits that uh, are going nowhere. Let's uh, let's do something that's with it actually in our power. And let me recommit that we're going to decouple from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Let me uh, again stay, say yep. we're going to provide caucus leadership. Our caucus, I'm going to take the caucus position that we're not going to accept donations, campaign contributions, any of us from teachers unions, SEIU, AFSCME. You know, do, do something that's actually within your power to signal that you're going to do what you can to drain the swamp, regardless of what Democrats do. Yeah, look, I mean, here's the important thing about why this matters to, you know, the average American who's going to be the speaker, because there is going to become there's going to come sometime in the next six or eight months a come-to-Jesus moment on the budget, where, look, the reason Republicans won the House narrowly, but they won it, is they made a promise they were going to get this budget in debt under control. It has to happen. We can't keep borrowing a trillion and a half dollars every year, folks, or we're going to go over a financial cliff. And so there's going to be a moment, you heard it first on the Dan and Amy show, when you're, there's a stare-down between the Republican House uh, you know, speaker and Joe Biden. And Biden's going to say, hell no, you guys are going to shut down the government, you're going to default on the debt, blah, blah, blah. And the Republicans cannot blink. They have to stand on this rock of Gibraltar that we are going to stand for financial responsibility and fiscal sanity in this country. And they can't back down. And what I want as a speaker is someone who will basically say, we are not backing down on this, Joe Biden. We're going to get a balanced budget. We're going to, you know, uh, not accept tax increases. We're going to have a budget that cuts spending, and we're not going to allow you to hire 87,000 agents. And if you want to shut down the government because you're opposed to those things, so be it. But we're not going to blink here. And that's what I think is the most important thing. Because I don't know if it's going to come in June, July, August, September, but that moment is coming. And the media's going to, oh, Republicans are going to default on the debt. They're going to shut down the government. At some point, you have to take a stand. Well, well is Kevin seems, McCarthy seems, the man to lead it, though? Well, it seems to me that the I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question, Amy. I well, mean, well, I don't know if he's got the. I know. I know this. 
And I'm, hey. you, you know what's happening, I think, today or tomorrow? Uh, the uh, McConnell, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, is having jo- a big powwow oh, with in, uh, Kentucky with the President Biden. You know, and Biden's like, oh, see how we, when we can get along, we can do big things in Washington. Yeah, big things like run up the debt by trillions of dollars. Well, yeah, they're so, touting the infrastructure. So bill. it seems to me that that yeah. that that uh, the advice to Kevin McCarthy then would be. The speech that Jim Jordan gave in nominating you, you should just repeat as your agenda. <laughs> yeah, great point. I mean, and, I mean, by the way, Jim Jordan is one of my heroes. I love the guy. I think he actually could be speaker. I think I think right now it's up for grabs. It's really, um, it's going to be, in my opinion, either Steve Scalise or, or Jordan or, uh, or McCarthy. And, uh, you know, if you ask me who I would prefer among the three of those, it would probably be Jim Jordan with Steve Scalise being second. And McCarthy being third, and and you know, look, McCarthy's that thing saying, "Oh, I raised all this money for the party. Look at all the money." And he did. The one thing McCarthy's really good at is raising money. But then you have to ask, well, gee, how was that money spent? Because you know, it was a pretty disappointing election. You know, the Republicans should have picked up twenty-five seats, and they only picked up like seven or eight. You know, so I think there's a lot of people who are. I, look, let me put it very simply. I want the Republicans to to paint with broad colors about what they want for the country. And it's the opposite of what Biden has given us. And I don't want Mitch McConnell running the House making deals with Biden. Are you guys with me on that one? Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, uh, we'll end well, on that moment. That's a comment on unity. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> way to unify the party, Steve. We appreciate it. Steve Moore, communist, couple author. By the way, uh, yes. hey, Dan, the Speaker doesn't have to be a member of the House. Maybe we could make Amy the Speaker of the House. Yeah, I'm busy. You want to um, move to Washington? Yeah, no, I'm okay. Thank you. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye, Steve. All right, guys. Have a great day. Yes. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Stephen Moore joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, January 80. You know how I despise bicyclists. Oh, you hate them. You call like road warriors or whatever. Uh, well, I just if I was mayor for a day, my first order of business would be to ban bicycles. Not just divvies. I mean, ban riding of bicycles in Chicago. Into all together, right? Yeah. Okay. Probably in prison, cyclists too. <laughs> Certainly, the penalties would be stiff. Um, here's a good example of what I'm talking about. Here's a San Francisco bicyclist who uh, loses her business over a ambulance. Parked in the bike lane. Ooh. I am losing my mind. There is an ambulance in the bike lane. There is a signal. They could park him. They could block the car lane. They could block the non-existent motorcycle park lane. They, I just passed a radio. They are losing in the bike lane. And two other cars and an Amazon Prime in the bike lane. And I am not even half a mile away from home on a rainy day. What the f***? What the f***? Oh my gosh. Get out of the bike lane. Pull in there. Pull in the motorcycle parking. You're killing us. Get out of the bike lane. You're on break for what? Get out. Unbelievable. One four nine 
They're killing us. The ambulance parked in the bike lane in San Francisco. You could park in the motorcycle lane, the car lane, the not the bike lane. This is also another reason why Dan Proft is single. No, I was if 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 marrying a bicyclist, (laughs) that is a deal breaker. No way, absolutely not. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Taishu Zhang is a law and history professor at Yale. And uh, he's made some predictions in terms of what he expects to see from the Chinese communists and, by extension, the country of China this year. Essentially, he thinks they're going to devalue the currency, get growing again. Not great, but they'll grow faster than the U.S., the underlying structural problems there won't change very much, but once things start ticking up again, the uh, protesters, the uh, uh, white paper protests, though that that all subsides, that goes away. They'll uh, do their usual propaganda in the direction of good government, launching anti-corruption campaigns at the local level. Again, these this is professor, these are Professor Zhang's predictions. And uh, they'll take, actually, he believes, a more dovish foreign policy when it comes to the West. Uh, He says expect to see more high-profile visits to Europe, for example, perhaps not wanting to be tied too closely to Putin and get too far afield from whatever constitutes the global community these days. That's his his general review. Um, A uh, kinder, gentler Chinese communist uh, regime under President Xi kind of, sort of, is my takeaway. Uh, let's see what our friend Gordon Chang has to say about said predictions. Pleased to be joined again by Gordon Chang, who's the author of The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. He, you can uh, follow uh, Gordon Chang on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, C-H-A-N-G, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon Chang, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dan and Amy, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. So what do you say about uh, Professor Zhang's general commentary on what we should expect from the CHICOMs this year? Well, all of that is possible, uh, and we see some of those trends already. Um, But I think that largely we got to recognize that the Communist Party right now is in a very perilous position It didn't change its COVID policy on December 7th when it abandoned zero COVID. It just capitulated. It just ran out of the ability to implement its aims. And we have seen a very unhappy Chinese people. Even after the extraordinary protests that began in October and continued through December, even those after they subsided because of the surge of the disease, We've seen incidents around China where people turn over police cars just because they're so angry at what has happened. And, of course, we see a society that is crippled by COVID-19, perhaps 9,000 deaths a day, 
Um, we don't know where this the trajectory of the disease in 2023, but we can hear what, what epidemiologists say, and they say it's not going away. So I think China is going to be a very troubled society. Anything, of course, is possible. Professor Zhang's predictions could very well turn out to be right, but they could also, um, I think, miss the mark because they don't understand the fundamental unstable instability in China. Well, during the Christmas break, um, it was announced by the U.S. government that anybody coming from China two years or older has to test negative for COVID. Uh, what's the Chinese people's reaction to that, and why did they put that in place? Uh, Beijing has been upset. Uh, just a couple days ago, the foreign ministry uh, is said that they would impose, quote-unquote, countermeasures for countries imposing restrictions like that. But we got to remember, Amy, that uh, Beijing imposes the same restrictions on travelers to China. Um, I think, though, when you look at the Biden administration's um, restrictions, they, um, of course, are a step in the right direction, but they don't go nearly far enough because this is the fastest viral outbreak in history. You have to present a negative test taken within 48 hours of departure. You can easily get COVID uh, within that time. And also, remember, these rules don't kick in until tomorrow, the 5th. So um, we're going to have more Chinese COVID in our country. And that's wrong. You know, people will say, well, it won't make much of a difference. My view is the death of one more American makes a difference and is completely unacceptable. And unfortunately, the Biden administration has adopted policies that are permitting not only one more death, but many more deaths caused by this new Chinese wave. One of the other predictions is that uh, you're going to see an increased number of Chinese nationals coming, coming to the United States for their college education. And I, I wonder where we are, you know, for there was a time pre-pandemic where we were talking quite a bit about some of Chinese, the Chinese communist incursions into this country. For example, the Confucius Institutes uh, that they've uh, they, they established on college campuses, the, the funding that was coming from the Chinese Communist Party to uh, our colleges and universities. That was a concern. The uh, some of the farmland, the agricultural land that uh, Chinese communists were buying up, that was a concern. H have any of those issues or area uh, issue areas of concern been substantially addressed? No, uh, and that's a problem. You know, we're dealing with a regime right now that is refusing to act responsibly. So, going back to COVID for a second, China or Biden or China. both? Oh, um, China. Um, and Biden has not reacted with the vigor that is necessary. But, you know, just, just to give you an example of how dangerous China is, they're not sharing sequencing information on COVID. So we have very little idea what's going on. And we're reduced to taking the wastewater from planes that arrive in the U.S. to figure out the strains of COVID in China. Well, when you're dealing with a society like that, Dan, um, I don't think you can have relations with it because they ultimately have um, negative effects in the United States. You'd mentioned farmland. Um, so we know that, for instance, in Oklahoma, um, the Chinese gangs have established uh, their operations on, uh, on Oklahoma land. They have uh, fences. You know, a lot of people in Oklahoma have fences. But people in Oklahoma have fences to keep people out. Um, China has fences to keep people in. And there are reports of uh, child trafficking operations being run off of Oklahoma farmland. We're not addressing those issues. 
um, and we should not be allowing um, parties from China owning land until we figure this out, because we are seeing uh, the Chinese gangs, the triads, move into the American heartland. That's absolutely wrong. Well, is the FBI investigating that? Um, I think the FBI has other priorities at this moment, but certainly, even if they are investigating it, they are not uh, dealing with it at the, with the vigor that is necessary. Remember, we have a federal government that has refused to stop a Chinese firm from buying 370 acres within 12 miles of Grand Forks Air Force Base, which has satellite uplinks and uh, communication facilities with drones. The Chinese, from that facility, which they plan to build, could not only capture signals from Grand Forks, but they could also disrupt those signals. Why we allow this possibility in our own country is wrong. And so going back to Dan's point about the Biden administration, no, yeah, it's, it's doing some things, but it's clearly not doing enough to protect us from obvious and known dangers. And that is an indictment of the Biden administration, failing to protect us from foreign attack. And that's the president's most solemn constitutional duty. He is uh, abrogating it. You know, um... I'd be interested to get your handle on the whole potentially uh, forthcoming investigation into Biden Incorporated. And that necessarily would include Hunter Biden's uh, dealings with Chinese communists, the Chinese state-owned energy company, all the money he raised for his private equity fund uh, from Chinese communists. I wonder if you think that... um, the Biden family, specifically Hunter and maybe some of his business partners, including Tony Bobulinski, but not limited to him. If you think that at some point, if they're compelled to, they would add real value into understanding what exactly uh, those in the upper echelons of the Politburo in China are doing and how we should be addressing what they are doing. There's an obvious um, issue here, and that is, Um, China's relations with Hunter Biden can't be explained in the absence of influence peddling and corruption. Um, You know, China gives um, and and has a lot of foreign money managers. No, nothing unusual in that. And many of those money managers have uh, control over large sums, larger than Hunter Biden got. But they have an experience in that area. They've got track records. Hunter Biden didn't. And um, the BHR partners' um, relationship with Hunter Biden um, looks corrupt from, you know, just the surface of it. Why it's not being investigated, I don't know. But there's obviously um, uh, tax fraud here. Um, Then there's probably failure to register as a foreign agent. Um, God knows what else there is. So, yes, um, the failure to investigate this while the FBI chases after mothers in Loudoun County because they go to school board meetings is just um, a travesty. And it shows the real failure of the Biden administration to protect us from a foreign danger. It's his son. Yes, I understand that. But Biden has constitutional responsibilities that go well beyond and supersede those of his being a parent. But but how do the Chinese communists use uh, somebody like Hunter Biden? Is he just the classic useful idiot and that he would really have no intelligence value to us? Or do you think because he was close, at least for a time, with some of those that are in the upper reaches of the regime there, that he might have value, uh, he might have intel value? 
He has two values. First of all, he did arrange meetings with somebody called Joe Biden, who happens to be his dad. Um, but even something else, and that is, um, you know, Biden, Hunter Biden went to Chinese soil. Um, if he did anything compromising there, and we know he's a troubled uh, individual by his own admission, then China will have um, evidence of it. And, um, hmm. you know, God knows what uh, they're going to use that as blackmail against the dad. And we may never know that. We will always be able to trace down Hunter Biden's um, crimes if they exist, because money always leaves a trail. But blackmail often does not leave a trail. And we could have um, the Communist Party being blackmailing um, the guy who sits in the Oval Office, and we might never know. So that's why we need to get to the bottom of this and fast. Well, what work did Hunter Biden even do in China? That's the question. What did he do? do? We know what he's done elsewhere, um, and those graphic images are really disturbing. Um, If he did the same thing in China, um, we have uh, a real concern about about, uh, what they can do in terms of intimidating the president of the United States. Uh, One more topic I wanted to get to before we let you go, and that's TikTok. You have states moving to ban TikTok on state-issued phones for state employees, the federal government doing the same at the federal for federal workers. Uh, where do you come down on the sense of urgency for federal action on TikTok beyond just federal and state employees? Yeah, there's two uh, critical national security threats that TikTok poses. It, it takes information. It can use that for intimidation and blackmail. Remember, um, every president of the United States has once been an 18-year-old. The other thing is that TikTok uses the algorithm to propagate uh, its uh, its Russian disinformation, which it did last year, and to glorify drug use and to promote subversion of the U.S. government by fomenting violence. Um, the only acceptable solutions are a complete ban on TikTok or uh, the sale of all of its ownership interests to an American party who controls the algorithm. You know, the Trump administration tried to force the sale of TikTok to Oracle. It sale cratered, not over price or anything that normally would be a problem. It, it cratered over the control of the algorithm, which shows you why China wants TikTok. It wants to influence the United States. And well, we saw that. Under- yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we saw that in that 60 Minutes piece from a few weeks back, too, where the content that is... Uh, provided via TikTok in China as a largely educational in nature versus and and nationalistic versus what's provided here, which of course is you know the you know cultural rot. Yes, well the the sister site of TikTok is Daoyun in um, China and is very very different, and that shows you that Beijing controls ByteDance even though it's nominally private. And it uses it to propagate uh, its notions, many of which are very destructive to the U.S. So why the Biden administration reversed the Trump administration ban on TikTok, we'll never know. But it was, I believe, uh, um, a very wrong move. Gordon Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. You can follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, C-H-A-N-G, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon Chang, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dan and Amy. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Uh, Scott Stallings, he's a pro golfer. 
Mm-hmm. So the PGA. Um, he got this uh, DM from another guy. Hi, Scott. My name's Scott, Scott Stallings, too. I'm also from Georgia. My wife's name is Jennifer, too. We have a condo at a place that wasn't disclosed, but must be near where Scott Stallings, the pro golfer, lives. And I received a FedEx today from the Masters inviting me to play in the Masters tournament April 6th to the 9th. Yes, how did it happen? (laughs) Break out the champagne. I'm 100% sure this is not for me. I play, but wow, nowhere near your level. Yeah. He's got to keep the invite forever. It's a very nice package, complete with everything needed to attend. Sure, yes, of course, it would be. It's awesome. I think we have some confusion because of our names, our wives' names, our geographical location. <laughs> and he sent him a picture of the whole package he received from the Masters. And, uh, yeah, it checks out. But now he should, he should have just gone and played. Right, exactly. Just be quiet. Keep your head down low. You know, Scott, they made Scott I got this. This was mailed to me. Here yeah. it is. Hopefully nobody notices. Does anybody and, have a caddy for me? <laughs> yeah, I, which is why, by the way, from now on, I'm going by the name Tiger Woods. <laughs> My ex-wife is Aline. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, see if I, yeah, oh, that's, that's the only good. way I'm getting to Augusta. Nah, it's just a, you know, fun little sports story. It's awesome. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy from the files of Illinois, never missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Our next guest, Bob Milan, former first assistant state's attorney in Cook County, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, uh, Bob ran for state's attorney back in the day after Devine retired, and right. he was defeated in the Dem primary by Anita Alvarez. I remember it well. Hmm. I wonder how the trajectory of prosecuting violent crime, perhaps even political corruption, in Chicago and Cook County would have been different over the last... 15 years had Bob Milan been the Cook County State's Attorney. But alas, as per usual, those are only fantasies that we can undertake in Cook County and Illinois. Fantasies of competence in high office. Anyway, Bob, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Sure. Good morning. How are you? Good. So, um, we haven't talked to you in a bit, but, uh, you know, of the last year and particularly the last uh, couple of months of going into the election and then the machinations uh, over the Safety Act, the amendments to it, the litigation about it, the Supreme Court stay of it. Um, where, where do you come down on all this? Is it your belief that uh, the Safety Act should be held to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court and the General Assembly can try again? Well, I hate to speculate on on what the Illinois Supreme Court may or may not do, but uh, my take on it is that it will be found unconstitutional. Uh, The the opinion written by Judge Cunnington of Kankakee County is is well written, well thought out, and it's pretty clear that it, uh, by completely eliminating cash bail, the safety act violated the separate 
separation of powers clause of the Illinois Constitution in that it's, you know, the Illinois Constitution states in it, all persons shall be bailable. And that uh, power uh, to determine who's bailable and who isn't is inherent with the courts to determine the judges and not the legislature. And so by, by, by enacting the Safety Act, our state legislature infringed on the duties of the courts. I believe that's how this will, will turn out. Right. Do you think uh, the but again, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, Amy. No, uh, sorry for interrupting, but do you think that then they'll try to amend our state's constitution? I think it's a distinct possibility, but the only way they can do it is by, by voters doing it. They're going to have to take it to the voters. That's the only way you can amend the Illinois state constitution. So there, there will have to be a vote on it. And uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, I, I could proceed on trying to do that, yeah. Or, I mean, they could do something really really crazy uh, in thinking about legislation outside the competence area of most of the members of the General Assembly, they could actually have conversations with prosecutors and public defenders and judges uh, this time around about what makes sense and develop this in such a way that there isn't mass confusion among all the stakeholders in the criminal justice system. I, that may mean, I, I don't know it, if that's just a bridge too far, but that's something they could do. Well, first they have to deal with this, whether it's constitutional or not. Assuming it's ruled unconstitutional. Yeah, if it's ruled unconstitutional, then it's back to the drawing board. But, you know, what's <clears throat> the most troubling about this whole thing was the initial the initial bill that got passed. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that our elected officials, the president of the Senate, uh, you know, the the Speaker of the House and the governor, pushed this bill and then signed it in the middle of the night, a bill that would absolutely endanger all of our communities, no doubt about it. I mean, it's outrageous what this, the initial bill said. And now here we are scrambling. It, it, the elected officials put us in this position, right? They, they chose to do this. And they either didn't read it, uh, which is outrageous, or they read it, knew what it was going to do, and did it anyway. And so to me... That's really troubling. Um, when you when you talk, it, yeah, when, well, I mean, we we've heard from a lot of county states attorneys and sheriffs about this over <clears> the last year. But but and when you talk about how it would have would have endangered communities, or it will if even a two version is held to be constitutional and implemented. What do you mean specifically? What ab- what about what's in there is most concerning to you? Well, I'm, I'm talking about the original bill. And I can discuss the amendments later. The amendments are far better. A lot of positive changes in the amendment. But in the original bill, let me give you an example. Let's say three convicted murderers served their sentence and uh, got out of prison, their parole's over, and they spot a woman walking down the sidewalk, and they jump out of their car, they they walk up to her, and they punch her in the face and break her nose and take her purse. Under the original bill, they could not be held in custody. None of the three, even though they were convicted murderers, even though they committed that act against her, because aggravated battery was not one of the listed offenses that were pretrial detainable, nor was robbery. And and they kind of, you know, the way that it was written, you don't even consider it. You can't even get to the fact that they were all convicted murderers, right? Couldn't use prior that's how not right. That's how crazy that bill was. You mm-hmm. know, it had things in there that if you didn't show up to court, so let's say you're charged with robbery and you don't show up to court. 
the, oh, wow. in the old days, the, the judge could issue a warrant, right? Issue a warrant for, for your arrest. Uh, now, no, they'd have to issue a uh, rule to show cause that had to be served on the person before the next court date. And then if the person showed up to the next court date, it was as if he never missed court. And he could do that 10 times. You could make do that exercise 10 times and nothing would happen. And what I had about stricter the... rules. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I just again. was going to say I had stricter rules for missing class at St. Ignatius High School then. than, <laughs> than, than <clears throat> seriously, than individuals yeah. uh, charged with these crimes. Well, what about the snitch line for police that anybody could call and allege or make an allegation against any officer? Yeah, I think that. <clears throat> Did they get away with that? Uh, I I didn't see that. I didn't see that they did away with that in the amendment. But uh, so I'm not sure on that. But I'm concentrating on the big ones that really affect you know the public at large. But you know, so the original bill was outrageous. But there's a lot of positive changes. Okay, what they did with the, the amendments, right? They expanded the list of offenses that are now detainable pretrial, uh, which was which is very good. Um, they also took out that crazy phrase. So in, in order to hold somebody in custody under the original bill, uh, you would have, the prosecutor would have to show that the defendant poses a specific real threat to an identifiable person. So a carjacker who gets brought before a judge, this prosecutor would have to say, you know what, we think he's going to carjack Mrs. Jones next week. I mean, it, it, it's nuts. That's what it requires, right? That's, t- that's taken out. Instead, they use, they use to any person of the community. So... You know, the the example I just gave you about warrants, the judge may issue a warrant for non-appearance now, and he may consider non-appearances, prior non-appearances, in detaining a person. So the, the bill, uh, as it sits now, I mean, under the, the amendment, uh, is better, a lot better, but it's still not perfect. Uh, you know, Chris Welch, he's the House Speaker. He's a officer of the court. He's an attorney. Uh, our governor, J.B. Pritzker, uh, he's uh, he's got a, a law degree from Georgetown. He's an attorney. So um, what do you say to those two principles, just to name two, that, uh, that um, passed and signed that initial version into, into law? Would you suggest that anybody who voted for that law, much less signed it into law, would be that's a disqualifying event? It's a huge problem. I mean, I, I think, and I, I, you know, hold the media uh, to the fire on this, too. They should have been brought. People should have asked. The media should have interviewed them and asked them the specific question. Go over the kind of things I'm going over right now. The problem is it's a 750-page bill, right? How many people really, exactly, how many people dig in like I do and, and some of my colleagues and actually read it and realize how insane this is, right? But that should have happened, and they should have been brought in in front of the public and, and asked, how could you let this happen? Is it true that three convicted murderers uh, see a woman walking down the sidewalk, get out, punch her in the face, steal her purse, and those, those guys could not be held in custody under your original bill? How did you let that happen, right? And, and go through all of the crazy suggestions that were in there. But it never happened. So they're, you know, they're not going to be held accountable for it. And with the, even if... Uh... Even if it's held unconstitutional, um, does anything change in Cook County? Because from what I can see as a layman, never a prosecutor, um, Kim Fox and the and Preckwinkle and Tim Evans have basically been operating on, under something similar to version 1.0 of the Safety Act in a de facto manner. 
Yeah, and that's that's distressing. I mean, they've essentially endorsed the original bill, which, yeah. again, people should be, you know, asked about this publicly, held to, you know, held to, uh, the, to answer these questions on, on how, in fact, they, they could have done this. But, yeah, it's, it's a problem, you know, and, and, look, we need, you know, we need prosecutors to think about the victims, right? And, and, and the victims of crimes, I and mean, the average person, unless you're one of them, or unless you're a police officer that deals with it every day, or a prosecutor that, that deals with this every day, people have no idea what the pain it's caused these people. I mean, they have no idea what it's like to lose someone to a violent crime or, you know, uh, somebody that's injured for the rest of their lives, paralyzed to a shooting, and I can go on and on and on, right? They just don't understand the pain, right? So where where are these elected officials talking about that, right? Where, where are they? They're, I don't hear anything. You know, well, the all suspects I do is come see, first. They all, care more about yeah, the suspect than the victim. Five juveniles were shot yesterday in Chicago, right? Uh, this year we had, what, uh, 735 homicides just in Chicago and, and 3,602 people shot just in Chicago. Where, where are these? elected officials when it comes to this, right? They're nowhere to be found. But the guys, what they come up with this crazy bill to help all these guys that are that are shooting, killing, raping, and, and, and hurting people, it, it's unbelievable. If somebody would have told me 20 years ago that this, this kind of stuff would be, you know, a bill like this would be passed, I'd say it's fiction, but it happened. Well, Pritzker did it because it was an election year, don't you think? That motivated him? Yeah, I think I think he... You know, he puts his finger up, in, you know, in the air and says, "Which way is the wind blowing?" And he goes with it. You know, that's, that's my take on it. You know, there's no way he read this, and there's no way he sat down with people and had them describe it to him. And then, lo and behold, when it passes, and everybody starts telling him, "This is what's going to happen," he says, "Oh, you know what? I think we need some changes." Well, that should have been done first, right? That should have been addressed first. Well, he didn't say we need some so, changes until until it was uh, until yeah until he was taking on water over the issue in the last days of the election, and then after the election to make this all this ugliness sort of go away or subside a bit. Right? I mean, he has initial exactly response, right. if you remember, yeah. for for from criticism was anybody who's critical of this is a racist and a fearmonger. That was his initial reaction. Of course, it was exactly. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's unbelievable, but I. You know, I will say that the amendments brought about a lot of positive changes. I was really glad to see that. Uh, in Cook County, um, with respect to the, the the enforcement of the law, you know, prosecuting uh, violators of the law side of the house, so prosecutors and judges, um, I guess would you can you rate the job that uh, Tim Evans and Kim Fox are doing? Are is one a bigger problem than the other? Are they both problems? Are neither problems? What's happening on that side of the house? Well, let me just, in regards to the state's attorney's office, there's still a lot of really, really good men and women in there that want to do the right thing, right? So the, the people that are in the trenches, you know, there's still a lot of really good ones. And, uh, and thank God for them. And every day they're trying to do the right thing. Obviously, I'm very disappointed in the leadership. Uh, and I think it has a big effect, impact on the morale, right? When the leadership isn't doing what the, what the people in the trenches expect the leadership to do, it's a huge problem, right? 
like protect victims of crime. Think of victims of crime first and foremost. And uh, that's not that's what's not going on. And uh, you know, in regards to the judiciary, there's still a lot of good judges. Right? Still a lot of good judges, uh, you know, in, in, in the county that are trying to do the right thing each and every day. But you know, again, it, this false political narrative that's being pushed that that uh, you know that people get that get arrested with a dime bag of cocaine with no criminal background are being held in custody is nonsense, right? It's nonsense. It never that stealing diapers. Yeah, yeah, that, that that person is now in custody for two years awaiting trial, right? Show me the case. I want to see a case in which those examples happen and the person has no criminal background and no reason to be held in custody. Show it to me, right? All, people make these broad statements. There's thousands of people in custody for low-level offenses. Really? Okay, show it to me. Show me one where it's a low-level offense with no criminal background, you know? So, yeah, I'm a lot of the leadership... Elect, of elected officials are pushing this false narrative, and it's, it's got to end. You, you think that um, change uh, in the state attorney's office or the Cook County uh, circuit, you think it comes from inside or it needs to come from outside? And by outside, I mean it needs to come from voters electing a new state's attorney, electing a new mayor, uh, chief judge, retaining, not retaining. Or at some point, there'll be enough professional people, those good men and women you talk about, that they won't just speak publicly uh, on their way out the door like Jim Murphy did. And I'm not faulting him. At least he did that, um, former head of felony review. Um, but but it, se- you know, it seems like we need maybe, in my view, a combination of the two. Ne- neither one is happening right now. And I don't know who goes first. I don't know what the sequencing is or can be. But it seems like we need a combination of the two. We're not getting either. Well, it's not going to happen from inside. That, that's not going to happen. Um, people have to answer to their bosses so it's, and they have jobs, and it's just not going to happen. It's going to have to happen from the outside and from elections. That's the only way this is going to change. All right. He is Bob Milan, former first assistant state attorney, Cook County, and former assistant U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois as well. Bob, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. Have a good day. All right, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.